What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Cart Podcast presented by Thunderblogsports.com. Just a solo pod, me giving some updates on the fills, how I exercise the bullpen, and now they have a seven-game winning streak, some other MLB updates, talk a little hockey, jump into the PGA Tour versus live golf drama in the golf world. This one was a lot of fun to record. Let me know what you think. Subscribe to the podcast, The Bullpen Cart, wherever you get your pods. Thunder BLG on Twitter, Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. But enjoy the episode. Enjoy the Phillies. And here we go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. We are back talking some baseball. This episode, we're going to talk about the fighting fills and their seven-game winning streak. We're going to talk a little more baseball before jumping over to the Stanley Cup playoffs. We have one team punching their ticket to the finals. We're going to game six in the East. Then we're going to talk some drama and golf. This should be a fun one. I'm really excited to do this. I wanted to record an episode. I know the last time I talked about baseball, I said I was going to try, with a heavy emphasis on try, to talk about the Phillies after every series, try to break it down. And I wanted to wait until after this Brewers series ended to do something. But with everything, in, especially in golf, but also with the hockey updates, because we will do a Stanley Cup final preview, but I wanted to... At least talk about it a little bit here, you know, give my thoughts and then, you know, jump into it when we do the Stanley Cup final. You know, I wanted to try to combine everything. I am going to still try to do the Phillies updates and they're playing the Diamondbacks this weekend. We will see if I can get something out on Sunday, hopefully, but no promises. Again, heavy emphasis on the word try, but the fighting Phils are on a seven game winning streak. They fired Joe Girardi after the first win, a win in which... I went to, it was great, the final game against the Giants last Wednesday, and I exercised the bullpen. Let's start there. Let's start there. Let's let's pat myself on the back here. I exercised the bullpen. They've won seven straight since. How did I exercise the bullpen, you might be wondering. My wife and I, Emily Cannell, almost said Emily Anderson, we went to the game. We got there early because we live in the suburbs now. So we drove down, and we got there early enough that we went through the left field gate. We walked down Ashburn Alley. I got a beer. It was the Philly Twist. Shout out to, I believe it is, I believe it's a contract and brewing beer, but the Philly Twist, pretzel beer. Walk up to the bullpen. I sprinkle, pour some beer on my fingertips, and I flick it. Flick the beer at the bullpen going, the power of pretzels compel you, and look what happens. They're one seven straight. Now, I am going to also acknowledge the last time I did this, it was right after the Rockies series when the Phillies won three of four. And then they proceeded to stink against the Mets. I believe that's before the no-hitter. I, it's definitely before the blown 7-1 lead. So the Phillies stink again. That's my bad. But who knows? They're playing the Diamondbacks. We saw what happened last year when they needed to win against the Diamondbacks and they went to Arizona. And I think they lost three of four there. So if they stink again, my apologies. But... Got a podcast about something. But this seven-game win streak. So they have that game against the Giants. They 
are kind of in a weird spot of it's an Aaron Nola start. I don't know if you can say it's really that he started one extra inning because it's in the sixth where he lets up a couple runs here and there. And you're kind of thinking the Phillies are going to Philly. And then all of a sudden they hit a couple bombs in the bottom of the sixth inning. They take the lead. The bullpen comes out. It's lights out. They end up winning this game. Then the Angels come to town. The Angels are on a big losing streak as well. The Phillies sweep them. They score 10 runs the first night. The second game, I don't have the score in front of me, but they won that. Let's pull up the schedule. Game two of that was a 7-2 win, so great. But Sunday, Sunday obviously has been talked about in length. But the Bryce Harper grand slam in the eighth inning to tie it. What's important, though, is that they then, they tie it 6-6 there. It was 6-2, Bryce Harper hits a grand slam at the bottom of the eighth inning. Awesome to see Bryce Harper doing Bryce Harper things. The Phillies then let up a run. So it's 7-6 coming to the bottom of the ninth inning. And Bryson Stott hits the walk-off three-run homer. If you're a Phillies fan, you've seen the clips. You've seen the Tom McCarthy call. You've probably seen the Scott Fransky call, who's the Phillies broadcaster, if you're not a Phillies fan. There's the Spanish call. All of it is excellent. Go check it out. They end up sweeping the Angels. The Angels are in a complete free fall. They end up firing their manager later in the week, Joe Madden, who obviously went to the World Series with the Rays, went and won the World Series with the Cubs, breaking the curse of the Billy Goat. And, you know, he was supposed to be the guy for the Angels. And in similar ways, Joe Girardi was supposed to be the guy to help figure out the Phillies after the, everything with Gabe Kapler and Matt Klintak not being able to build a team. And there's still a lot to be said about Dave Dombrowski's building of the Phillies. The offense has been purring right now, and it's very fun to see. But their bullpen is still, even though I exercised it, is still, you know, suspect at times. And it was very apparent in yesterday's 8-3 win. By the way, I'm recording this Friday morning before work, so if I sound a little sluggish, it's because I woke up to record just for you all. But powered by some coffee, got some Wawa, feeling good. So, Phil's go out to Milwaukee. Kind of a sluggish first game. And Josh Hader comes in. Comes in the, the top of the ninth inning. Has not let up a run since July of last year. July of 2021. I believe it was 38 straight scoreless appearances. The bottom of the order is up for the Phillies. And Alec Bohm hits a home run. What is happening? He has not let up a run since July the crazy thing is I'm flipping between the Phillies and the hockey game, the Rangers and the Lightning in game four, and I get the alert, Alec Bowman's home run. Then Bryce Stott pops up, so not the hero again. Matt Vierling, who literally got called up, he got he started the year in the on the Phillies, got sent down to AAA, and because of different injuries, Gene Segura's on the IL, we have uh, Johan Camargo on the IL, we have all these different things. Mickey Moniak came back up, which he's been, you know, he's been playing better. He was good in this in this Brewers series, even though the statistics don't totally show that way. He's still a solid, a solid player there. And they even talk about it with Matt Veerling coming in. And Veerling hits a home run. They take the lead. They end up shutting down the Brewers. And you even heard it in the Rob Thompson, who took over for Joe Girardi. Rob Thompson has won six straight games, the first manager to do it since the 30s. For any team, not just the Phillies. But he talked about like the strategy there and actually like hearing his post-game interviews and how thoughtful about it, and specifically to this Veerling replacement, 
they asked him, you know, hey, it was the right versus left. Why, you know, did you think about bringing him in earlier in the game? You know, Hobie Milner, who was a former Philly, pitching against them in the middle of the game. And he said, you know what? It was two out. And, you know, maybe if we had a runner on base, runner in scoring position, maybe I would have done it if it was less than two outs. Maybe I'd do it there. But I figured it's probably going to be Josh Hader. So we might have an opportunity to bring him in there. And it fucking worked out. It's really great to see that that, you know, that there's thoughtfulness there. And it's great to hear it in the post-game interviews. You know, in Philly, you have all these, di- you've had these different coaches who kind of ha- have this, like, it's my way or the highway type of post-game interviews. You see it a lot with Doc Rivers, with the Sixers. You saw it with Joe Girardi. Uh, you you kind of saw it with Elaine Vigneault and the Flyers, and we'll see who they end up hiring as their coach. But having that thoughtfulness is just outstanding. And then on Wednesday night, the Phils come in and end up decimating, decimating the Brewers 10 to nothing in just a game where, you know what? They had Aaron Nola starting. He was going against Adrian Hauser, who, you know, is is three and six after this game, but still has been a solid, a solid enough player for him. But it's the same old ball go boom ball of they hit two different two run homers in the third inning. They end up getting a another shot from Odubo Herrera, who had another one today. Then they just poured icing on the cake. Kyle Schwarber with two RBI doubles. Kyle Schwarber, we'll talk about him in a minute, but Kyle Schwarber is the ultimate June player. Then Bryce Harper hits a three-run shot to really put this thing out of reach, and I laugh at it because we'll talk about Thursday's day game, but it's just great. Bryce Harper, five homers in his last six games, including Thursday, but the real icing on the cake, they complete the shutout. The bullpen just on a completely different level, but Nola going eight innings, getting his record back to four and four, and really just, you know what? He's been great this year. And there have been a lot of games where the offense has been stagnant and has not been able to pick him up for the great starts he's had. In eight innings, six Ks, no runs, no walks. It's pretty awesome to see. And now we get to Thursday. We get to Thursday, Eflin versus Adrian Hauser, and maybe one of the nuttier games on this. Uh, not Adrian Hauser. Against Corbin Burns. Adrian Hauser was the Wednesday night starter. But you come into this game thinking, all right, it's Corbin Burns, reigning Cy Young winner in the National League. It's Eflin, who's not very good away from Citizens Bank Park. The splits are astounding to see. We can go over those in a little bit. But this game, you get a Willie Adams home run in the first inning, and you're thinking, shit. Like, it was good. The six-game winning streak was great. It's kind of crazy to think they might be able to actually pull off a sweep in Milwaukee. You know, let's see if the Phillies can get some offense. And they end up tying it. They got a they got the bases loaded. They got, you know, everything that um and, and they end up scoring a run. I can talk. Again, it's early. They get a Bryson Stott hitting a ball into the hole. He's able to run out the double play. We had DD. Sliding into second base, not really trying to do any sort of takeout slide or anything, obviously, with all the different rules. But he ends up getting the run in, and you're thinking, okay, okay, we got out of that. We got a run, and we're we're pushing here. And Eflin and Hauser, Hauser had four walks, the most in his career and the most of this season. Uh, not Hauser, I keep saying that, Burns. Burns had four, had four walks. Again, reigning Cy Young award winner. He does not walk a lot of batters. I believe when he had his third walk, it was the second time this season, and I think like the third time since last year, which is insane. 
But so the game's going on. We're getting a lot of runners in scoring position on both sides. It took like almost two hours to play four innings. It was a really, really slow burn of a game. But then all of a sudden in the fifth inning, the Phillies are starting to do a little bit of damage here. They're getting some more runners in scoring position. We get a JT Real Mito sacrifice fly with the bases loaded. Then we get a DD double. It's 3-1 after the fifth inning. And we're thinking, okay, okay, we're working through here. The only problem is Eflin's removed after four innings. Again, he threw a lot of pitches. Burns did the same thing. Burns threw like 110 pitches in five innings, which is absolutely nuts. Completely, or not even in five innings. Through the through one batter in the fifth inning. We get Nick Nelson in. Nick Nelson, who has struggled through his times as the in a closing position, he lets him lets up an immediate leadoff double, but he gets out of it. He gets the next three batters. Good. Good, Nick Nelson. Let's get you. It's still technically a high leverage situation because it's the fifth inning in a 3-1 baseball game, but not as high leverage as a 3-1 baseball game in the ninth inning. So maybe we found something here. Also, I did tweet it out. Respectfully, if you want to retire on top, I have no problem with that. We've seen where these lows can go. You know, you're you're a little higher than you were there. Next inning, Connor Brogdon comes in, another guy who struggled in various different bullpen appearances, whether it's been in the fifth inning or the ninth inning. Uh, immediately lets him a home run, and I'm thinking, shit, well, this was fun while it lasted. And he gets out of that inning. So we get to the seventh inning. Nobody's on base. The reigning National League MVP is up, Bryce Harper, and he hits a ball off the scoreboard at what's now called American Life Park. And if I missed this last year, I didn't realize it weren't it wasn't Miller Park anymore. That's a real shame. We had the whole Bill Plaschke being like, oh, how would we go to these crypto companies instead of the Staples Center in Los Angeles, an iconic name, which is also a company name, the irony there. And obviously Miller's a is also a company. It's a brewery, but it's you know, hand in hand with Milwaukee. You saw people on Philly's Twitter being like, We're we're not drinking Miller Lights, Miller Light banned for this series. The name change again, if it happened last year. Whatever we, you know, the Phillies don't play the brew. They don't only go to Milwaukee once a year. So excuse me for for not noticing the name. But Bryce Harper, I'm burying the lead here. Hits a home run that they estimated to be, and now it says 440 on Yahoo. During the game, they're like, oh, it went 420. He hit the fucking scoreboard at least 100 feet above the dead center field wall. An absolute bomb of a home run. It's 4-2. We have some breathing room here. We get Sir Anthony Dominguez coming into the seventh inning. We get him one, two, three, absolute dominance. But we're thinking, okay, who's going to be coming out in, this, in the eighth and ninth inning? Corey Knebel. Corey Knebel, how the fuck you pronounce his last name? I always go back and forth. You know, he pitched a lot of innings. He had a kind of shaky Monday night close in that comeback win, which I forgot to mention. Still the fucking heart attack, kids. Thankfully, and I mentioned it before, Kyle Schwarber, the man of June, comes up and hits an absolute missile out of the stadium. His 15th homer of the year. Kyle Schwarber, let's talk about him right now. Phillies end up winning this game. They, they score more runs. Odubel Herrera, we don't like him, but he hit, a, he hit another home run. So the Phillies put this completely out of reach. Let's talk about Kyle Schwarber for a minute. Kyle Schwarber this year was under the Mendoza line 
which is 200 for non-baseball fans. Under the Mendoza line through the end of May, he had 11 home runs and 23 ribbies, but still batting under 200. He had six doubles. Kyle Schwarber in the month of June in seven games is 10 for 28 with five walks. That is a 357 batting average. He has three doubles already in June. Again, he had six, three in each month in April and May. It's three already in June. And he has four homers in this month of June. He has 20 home runs between last June and this June. In June 2019, because 20, we did not play baseball in June. June 2019 was pretty good too. This guy is playing absolute lights out post Memorial Day. I don't know what it is about Memorial Day that Kyle Schwarber is just like, you know what? I'm, I'm you know, I got to get warmed up. It's still a little chilly outside. I, I can't swing the bat that well. He has been on an absolute tear during the seven game winning streak. We've seen Nick Castellanos, who statistically is still finding the, the numbers that we saw in Cincinnati. But we've heard all of these different things about him in the clubhouse from different players of little bits and pieces of advice and seeing what he provides to these young players. And that was the biggest criticism of Girardi, right? Of like that he wouldn't play Moniac, that Alec Bohm, you know, he got to go up and down from, you know, the Phillies starting the year where he and Bryson Stott, you know, might have had something. Same with Bryson Stott, uh, that they were maybe platooning for the third base role and seeing what could happen there. And Johan Camargo's in the mix there. And now he's on the IL and hopefully is coming back soon. I think they gave an update yesterday and, you know, seeing what, what could potentially happen there. But now with Rob Thompson, we're seeing these young guys get opportunities and him believing in his players. That was one thing about different pinch hitters that came in when Moniac first got called up, like Odubo Herrera comes in instead of Mickey Moniac. And it's just a real like, hey, we called you up because it was time because you you got through your broken hand after an incredible spring, and but we're not going to put you in. And now we're actually putting him in, and it looks great to see of seeing these different guys, these young guys, and hearing, going back to Castellanos, hearing that he's a part of that, you know, mentorship to it, it's just great to see. Now, there's the other side of the coin where Cassianos has to play a lot of right field because Bryce Harper's elbow is still kind of messed up. They were talking about on the broadcast yesterday that he got some sort of cortisone type shot of that were, I think, four weeks since he got the shot. And it's like a six to eight week process. So we might be seeing him come back to, you know, patrol right field and maybe, you know, might maybe by July 1st, but we'll see what ends up happening there because it's going to be very interesting. He hasn't been terrible. There's some, you know, some good defensive plays. It's better than the pre Bryce Harper days where you had fucking Nick Williams, who I did have a soft spot for, or, you know, insert whatever player here, Aaron Altair or whomever. Bryce Harper is an incredibly great defensive right fielder. And, you know, defense has been a lot better for the Phillies recently. But, you know, just like with the bullpen, even though I exercised it, the defense could go at any point. But we've seen in the Rob Thompson era this week plus, you know, it's Friday. So it's been literally a week since they fired Joe Girardi, which the timing of all that was weird. They won a six o'clock game on Wednesday night against San Francisco. They have a day off. 
And then the morning of the Angels series, Joe Girardi gets fired. They had basically 36 hours to decide what the hell they were going to do. And, you know, I guess they, they took some serious time to figure it out. And here we are, six more wins later, a seven-game winning streak with the Arizona Diamondbacks coming into town, a team that's just coming off a weird knockdown, drag them out, bottom of the barrel series in Cincinnati. And we will see what the Phillies end up doing. Let's, you know, just kind of give some other players their flowers here and looking at what's going on. I mentioned Castellanos has been, you know, pretty good. His average is, is 250, which is not the numbers we saw in Cincinnati. He has 29 ribbies, which is great. It's third in the team behind Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber. So, you know what? They were supposed to be the three great hitters, so we're seeing it there. We're seeing JT really the workhorse of the team. We got some, or we get some Garrett Stubbs time, but JT, you know, batting 242, three homers, 20 ribbies, still a really great defensive catcher, so certainly still has a lot of value there. Um, Nick Maton, who's been up and down throughout the season, he was a big part of that Giants game I mentioned there. He had a huge game in that, and Technically, because Yahoo, when you look at a team's stats, they don't qualify like they would for across Major League Baseball. He technically leads the team in OPS, an OPS of 1.905, almost 2,000, which is insane to think about. Um, but yeah, the pitching staff, we'll talk about some other starters. We we you know, still have Zach Wheeler being... Pretty excellent for the Phillies. I know he started off kind of short, kind of slow, and in his two starts against the Mets, it hasn't been really great. Which, you know, we'll we'll, we'll save that for the end of this little rant about baseball. But we've seen really good starts from Eflin at home. We had an okay start yesterday away from the ballpark, but then you get to the back half of the rotation with Gibson and Suarez. Gibson's been okay. Suarez is four and three. And it's been okay. We had a really good start the other night in that ten in the uh, 3-2 game where it's just a game where the, both offenses weren't really going. But he looked pretty good there. So hopefully, if he's starting to live up to what we saw at the end of last year, what all the different projections were saying he was going to do this year, maybe we see something out of that. But the Phils still are under 500. they They're still 28-29. and 29. They have an opportunity this weekend. Even if they just win the series, they would be 30-30. and 30. But that brings us to the rest of baseball and what is going on in the National League. The Mets have been on an absolute tear, and that's including Max Scherzer on the IL, and he's had all different kinds of stuff going on where he got removed from a game, he got put on the IL almost immediately, then there was reports that he got bit by his dog, which he was like, this isn't a story because we were just playing around, and she, like, chewed on my hand, and now you guys are trying to blow this out of proportion. Jacob deGrom still hasn't thrown a pitch in 2021, or in 2022, excuse me. Um, and we got a little bit of a setback for that, but he's going to come back at some point. The Mets have a six-and-a-half game lead on Atlanta. Mets are 38-21. and 21. Atlanta's 31-27. and 27. The Phillies, 28-29. and 29. So the Phillies are nine back in the division in the... National League wildcard scene. The Phillies are now two and a half back of San Francisco for that second spot. Atlanta's tied with them, but technically has a worse record because they've played two extra games. So the Phillies are in a spot now where they're in striking distance of potentially making the playoffs. And they're in a good spot. It's crazy to think that they're in 
this spot that they're in, we expected games to be, you know, 10-8. That was the joke going into the season, right? And now they're in this spot that we can see them, you know, maybe turning a corner where the excitement's coming back. And we heard a lot of different interviews from players about just how loose the clubhouse is. And you could even hear in the Rob Thompson post-game interviews, if you could hear inside the office, right next to the visiting clubhouse in Milwaukee, you could hear music blaring. You could hear the guys going nuts. It just feels looser. And there's, you know, it's really easy to be like, oh, Joe Girardi held this team back. And, you know, whatever kind of vibe you put on this team, you see players' faces in the dugout versus post firing in the Rob Thompson era of them being excited to be around each other. And now they're showing it. They've won seven in a row. Atlanta's won eight in a row. So both teams are coming back here. It's kind of like last year with the Mets. They didn't have a stranglehold on the division like they did now, but they were playing really well. And it was before DeGrom got hurt. And then obviously the Phillies took it for like two days. And then Atlanta took off and obviously goes on to win the World Series. But now the, the Braves and the Phillies are making somewhat of a push right now. Where again, the Mets have the best record in the National League. But, or No, actually they don't. Um, why they're ranked? Oh, because East, Central, West. Yahoo, screw me up. If you look at the wild card view, it has the Mets on top, then Milwaukee, then LA. LA has a better record by a game. Thirty. Uh, actually, no, they're tied. 37 and 20, I guess a better winning percentage because the Mets have played two extra games. The Mets are 38 and 21. Really great radio there, by the way. I'm glad you guys all listen. Please subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff through all my faux pas. I really appreciate it. But looking through this, it's easy to like, to try to go on the, oh, the Mets are going to met at some point and screw this up. But there's something different about the Mets this year. Their offense is buzzing on any different way that you go and try to look at it. And they've played really good baseball throughout this season. And they're putting the ball in play. They're doing it really without excellent pitching. They're 14th in Major League Baseball in ERA. They've let up a ton of home runs. Their opponent's batting average is 233. Pete Alonso is still mashing the ball, and he's on the pace to break his own record for the Mets' single-season home run record and already has 54 ribbies, and it's June 10th. Absolutely insane to think about. And you have Lindor, who's now come back down to a 250 batting average but still has 45 ribbies. you got guys just producing all over the place. Starling Marte is a guy like that. Brandon Nimmo. Mark Canna, who they picked up and has been kind of on and off the, the team or on and off the active list, I should say, because he had like a COVID bout and then he's, I think, been hurt a little bit here and there, but he's still producing when he's in the lineup. He does really good things for him, batting 295, 20 ribbies. He's a bottom of the lineup kind of guy that does a lot of really good things for him. So the Mets, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say the Mets are going to met and all this kind of stuff. Even with them going out to San Diego and losing a series, it's going out to the going out to the NL West and losing a series there. But the Phillies have an opportunity, and they really need to push. You know, I'm going to quickly go elsewhere throughout baseball. The Dodgers are really playing the kind of baseball we thought they were going to, and even on a little bit of a skid, they had the Pirates come in and take a couple games from them. The Pirates won a series. The Phillies, obviously, a few weeks ago, took three of four over a four-game weekend series. The Mets split a four-gamer with them. And, you know, even with that, they're still one of the best team. They are the best team in baseball. They've let up less than 200 runs, which is fucking insane. 
The only other team that hasn't done that is Houston, and that's the Astros, who have been excellent throughout the last few years. And whatever you want to say about the science dealing, which if you missed the 2017 World Series flag that was outside of Minute Maid Park, was stolen, a stolen sign. Irony is a bitch. But the Dodgers and Astros, two of the best teams out there. The Astros don't have the record that would show it. They're 36 and, and 21. The Yankees are playing really great. The, uh, actually, the Yankees are one team that haven't let up 200 runs. Didn't scroll up high enough. But the Yankees have the best record in baseball. They're the first team to 40 wins. The only team with 40 wins right now. The Mets could do that pretty quickly. But the Yankees are playing great. Aaron Judge is having an incredible season. Nestor Cortez, probably the talk of the season, playing really great baseball. He's had some really great quotes about being underestimated and playing great you know, outside of that. Even with Garrett Cole not pitching his best at times where he's let up a number of different home runs. I think he let up four home runs last night against the Twins. They still end up pulling out the W. They just, you know, it's it's what we've seen out of the Yankees the last couple of years. So they've finally built together this team that can really do some serious damage. And you know what? Picking up Donaldson was great. Joey Gallo is having a really great week. Uh, I think he had two home runs last night. You know, they're they're going to mash the ball and they're going to have a, you know, they're go they have different ways to close out games and as much as it might as it might pain Greg to say to admit that they're playing really good ball, but also to Greg's credit, currently there are four different AL East teams in the wild card right now. <laughs> and part of that includes the fact that the Angels lost 14 games in a row. They finally snapped that streak last night. The Cleveland Guardians are playing really great ball right now. That's something I wouldn't expect to see. The one disappointment is the White Sox right now, I would say. They are under 500, similar to the Phillies, 26 and 29, where you don't expect that that's going to continue for an incredibly long period of time because they're a very solid baseball team. Another disappointment, I'd say, is probably Seattle. They're five games under 500, 26 and 31. Negative 11 run differential. That was probably one thing. Going in that you would have thought they had some talent towards, if not volatile, where they picked up Robbie Ray. They have guys that can, you could maybe turn a corner and maybe haven't yet. But you know what? We are less than 60 games into the season. So it's really not the time to count out these teams. So seeing that there are four teams of the AL East that are in the three wild card spots right now is fun. It's excellent to see. It's, you know, another, you know, notch on the belt, tip of the cap to the AL East and how good those teams have been. But I'm really interested in seeing when some of these teams figure it out, specifically the White Sox and the, and the Mariners, what they can potentially do. If Cleveland keeps us going with the excellent pitching they've had throughout this year and an excellent season out of Jose Ramirez, that could be real. They could, you know, surprise a lot of teams. A lot of people thought, you know, after they trade away a bunch of guys and were kind of, you know, dropping back and punting almost, even though they gave out a huge contract to Jose Ramirez. You know, people kind of thought like, oh, well, maybe they're trying to bring up some young guys. Maybe they're trying to figure out something here. Maybe clear up space for an, another opportunity. But they still have great pitching. Even after trading away a number of different name brands, they still look really great. And now let's jump over to the hockey. Going to try to keep this one quick because we do the you know, weekly or the bi-weekly, roundly, I don't know if roundly is a word, but every round updates. But last night, 
Game five, the Eastern Conference Final. It's been a 2-2 tilt, both teams winning at home. We go back to MSG. The Tampa Bay Lightning pull out a 3-1 victory over the Rangers in a very kind of knockdown, drag them out game where it's 1-1 through the third period, 0-0 after one. We get two goals, kind of similar, kind of fires from the blue line on, on both sides. And then in the third period, things start to heat up around the, I want to say with like eight minutes to go, where the Rangers had this really great opportunity where they end up missing almost an open netter. And their, their player, I forget who it was, he overskates the puck and just ends up, instead of, they even said it on the broadcast, instead of stopping, he slid in to try to tap it and he just overskated it. And it was a wide open net. They beat Vasilevsky. But then Tampa turned on the afterburners. Mikhail Sergachev scoring his second goal of the game. The same style of goal. Just moving the puck around, flinging one in from the blue line. Goes through Chris Kreider's legs. He tried to block it right up there on the right on the point, right on the blue line, and gets through. And it looked like it might have gone off of Andre Palat, but they gave it to Sergachev. And Tampa ends up scoring a empty netter. They win 3-1. We got a little brawl at the end of the game, which was highly entertaining. You saw Alexi Lafreniere going against Steven Stamkos, two former number ones going at each other, which is just absolutely nuts to see. Nuts to see Stamkos just wailing on a kid. And it like really didn't turn into like, you know, the heavyweight bouts that you see in the regular season of an NHL game. But, you know, he gets up and, and just skating off, he goes up the Vazzy and, and just, you know, celebrates with him like any captain would. But to see the guy wearing the C getting into an after-the-game scrum is so entertaining. But throughout this series, I mentioned it, the home team has won every game up until last night. And we saw Igor really play great throughout the first two games. He looked okay in games three and four because those were pretty low scoring, so... I think okay is an apt term to use there. Then he looked pretty great last night. But Vasilevsky, after two struggling games in games one and two, goes home, really tightens whatever screw was loose in the armor. And last night looked great too. And really, you know, you can say what you will about the blocker side and that that's a weak side. And that's where the goal went last night. But the Tampa Bay defense has stepped up. Their depth is really, really showing why it's so good. And, and New York's bottom six has been pretty great too. But Tampa just showing what they've been able to do as a team throughout these last couple seasons. They'd be the first team since the Islanders dynasty in the 80s when they won four Stanley Cups in a row. And they actually made it to five in a row. And then they lost to Gretzky. But they made five Stanley Cups in a row, won four in a row. They'd be the first team since then to make the Stanley Cup final three times in a row. We've had a lot of back-to-backs. The Red Wings have done it. The Penguins have done it. But we've never had a team make three in a row since the Islanders. So we're on the verge of history here. Game six, Saturday night in Tampa. It's going to be really interesting to see because you know the Rangers are going to come out firing. They really had an opportunity there. They know they missed it. This is a young, scrappy team who, honestly, I made a point in the hockey shows of like, oh, they're you know maybe a little too young to really step into the moment and now the it's probably the reverse is that they're so young they they don't know they don't know they're supposed to screw it up here because they're so young against a machine the big blue machine if you want to call them that you know like the reds the big red machine the big blue machine of tampa they may just they might be able to go out on the road 
They've been a really good road team. We saw what they did in Game 7 in Carolina. We saw what they did with their backs against the wall against Pittsburgh. Maybe they can pull it out. I had Tampa versus Colorado, and we'll talk about Colorado in a second, but I'm not going to hold out on the Tampa Bay Lightning here. They've just been coached so well. They're playing great, great hockey. Their goalie is the best in the world, and you got to tip their caps to them that we might be seeing history here. But let's talk about the Avs. This series was absolutely nuts. Colorado wins in a sweep, but it really was all over the board of how the Avalanche were able to, in a nuts first game, win 8-6. You're thinking, oh my God, this is like the Battle of Alberta. This could be an incredible series, even though that only went five games. But this game ends up going completely off the rails of... You know, Colorado takes this huge lead. Edmonton's making a charge. Then Colorado just turns on the afterburners. They end up winning the game 8-6, where Tampa has this late charge. You think, oh my God, we're going to see this again. We're going to see another nutty game, and Colorado pulls it out. Kind of similar to that first game of the Battle of Alberta, where Calgary wins a crazy game, where all sorts of goals are scored left and right. Game two... The Avs just completely shut down anything out of the Oilers, a 4 nothing win. And then they go to Edmonton, and you're thinking, okay, the Oilers, you know, they were silenced in that game. Maybe they're going to come out firing here. And they do. They take an early lead. But Colorado just doesn't blink an eye. And you saw it. They win that game 4-2. You see it in game four where they end up pulling out the sweep. They scored early. Edmonton ends up taking a 3-1 lead going out of the second period. But Colorado really just... The same thing. They don't blink an eye at it. And they, you know, Darcy Kemper got hurt and they had Frank Kuz in for the series. And, you know, Frank Kuz, it, it's just next man up mentality there. He, you know, maybe didn't play some of the, the best hockey out of that whole series where Edmonton has some of their guys firing. You had Leon Dreitzettel playing really great. And it ends up going to overtime where Colorado ends up you're rallying back. They end up taking a lead and the Oilers score to force overtime in game four. But again, Colorado just very, very disciplined and taking away this win. I mean, I mentioned it before. I had Colorado beating Edmonton in the or beating Tampa in the final. Wow. Again, still early. Need another cup of coffee when this ends. But they're on another level. They are such a wagon. And they're playing great hockey. Nate McKinnon having incredible playoffs. Kale McCarr, who is the third quickest defenseman to 50 points. 50 points in 49 games. The other two ahead of him are Bobby Orr and Brian Leach. Pretty great company to be in. I mean, you can say all you want, you know, for me as a Flyers fan of the stuff that came out about Hextall and that Bobby Clark said and, and all that. But you know what? Regardless of all that and the 2017 draft stuff of what could have happened, everything there, it's just fun to watch him and what he does on both ends of the ice, how he defends guys, how he was able at various points throughout the series to shut down McDavid, who when all is said and done, McDavid ends up having an incredible postseason. And I know obviously he doesn't get to the final, he doesn't get to the fourth series but still in three series with over 30 points, almost getting to 35 points, is still pretty incredible to see. Still the best player in the world, you know, 
see them to finally get to this point because in 2017, you know, they have that Anaheim series where they blow a three-goal lead and then Ryan Kessler's having some goaltender interference that wasn't called and all this crazy shit that happened in that Anaheim series. But to see them finally get back here after years and years of thinking they can't get over the hump because of their goalies and they played great in the Battle of Alberta, they still need that. And to see what this Edmonton team is going to do in the offseason is going to be really interesting because of how top-heavy their cap space situation is. But that's a different podcast for a different time. The Colorado Avalanche finally didn't disappoint. They've finally gotten back to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in a long time. And whether they're playing Tampa or if New York can pull it out, it's going to be really interesting. We're going to talk about it with Greg and Mark probably next week at some point. So it's probably going to be the next episode of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. But let's go over to the final piece. The news about golf heard all around the world, literally all around the world. But the last week, we've had the blow-up of the Saudi Golf League, the Live Golf Tour, Invitational, whatever the hell you want to call it. The Live Golf Invitational Series is officially what they're calling it. But if you're not catching up on this, and we talked about it a little bit at the end of the last hockey show of that they released their first field and Dustin Johnson was on it. And then we had guys over the weekend resign from the PGA Tour. And that means that they basically quit. They're officially joining this. Kevin Nob was the first one to officially resign. DJ did. Phil Mickelson finally is announced after months and months of speculation that he was involved with them where he said they were scary, scary motherfuckers and all this crazy shit. But for those that don't know, so basically golf works that there's the PGA Tour, here in the United States. There's the European Tour, currently sponsored by a company called DP, so the DP Tour. And for years, they've talked about trying to have basically a world golf series. And they've tried to you know, combine the two tours. They've talked about for years having a new tour to rival the PGA Tour. And for months, when it was really gearing up that the Saudis were going to start this league we had all the speculation of who was involved phil was really early on involved in this and he said the scary motherfuckers quote there's obviously everything that saudi arabia has to it with their you know links to various different stuff going on in the world i mean you can google what kind of stuff that's going on there um there's a lot of accusations of sport washing because of the amount of money these guys are getting paid. And apparently Phil Mickelson's getting paid $200 million. Dustin Johnson's like $125 million. So like much higher basically signing bonuses. It's a $250 million US dollar grand prize to win this whole thing. And apparently there was a rumor Tiger turned down a mind-blowingly enormous nine-digit deal to go over there. And you have all the all the problems there and hearing some of the press conferences, which also got nuts because there were reporters that got kicked out, which is crazy. Um, But guys like being accused of the sport washing and all that. And you would guys get asked if they'd play for Putin and all of this kind of stuff. It's really, really crazy. The idea though, and where a lot of these players are coming from and what Phil tried to do early on and where why he didn't play in the PGA, or at least why we don't think he played in the PGA and the Masters, is like he 
basically wants he doesn't like how the PGA Tour is set up and how you know PGA Tour players can't own a lot of their media uh, media rights and stuff like that it's owned by the PGA Tour and all this different stuff so they're trying to get leverage against the PGA Tour and you know now having their their own leverage is really where Phil kept trying to come back to and now he's officially on the tour or on this series and all that sort of stuff and you know they're it's absolutely insane on the the social side of things. I'm going to try to stay away from that because you can Google Saudi Arabia if you don't know any of the stuff they do. You can Google that and all of those sorts of opinions. But what's nuts and where this has all gotten crazy this week. So they have their first week on the Saudi Golf Invitational Series. It's over in London. And it's this format where they basically had... Big names, so like Sergio's playing it. Sergio Garcia, DJ, I mentioned. Now we have, they aren't playing in it this week, but we have Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau apparently going over when they go to Portland in a couple weeks. You have Kevin Na, who I mentioned officially retired or officially resigned for the PGA Tour. And you have these big names that end up being captains of their own teams. And what that means is they had basically a fantasy draft where they have these teams where you're still competing individually, you know, still against par and everything there. But then also they have, I didn't really watch any of it. I just mainly follow this along on Twitter about the the broadcast and what they could potentially bring to the game and all of that. But basically the aggregate of your four guys on your team is where your team stands. So it's kind of like an F1 where you have the race and then depending on where the guys end up in the race, your team gets a, a certain amount of points for where they finish, just like how the individual driver gets points for the individual championship, and there's the Constructors Championship. So it's something like that, although it's not totally explained how all that is really going to go. And it kind of is, it kind of isn't. But so the actual event itself, and the reason why it's called the Live Tour, L-I-V. L-I-V in Roman numerals is 54. The idea is that it's only 54 holes of golf. There's no cut. Normal PGA Tour, European Tour event, I say normal because there's some that don't, but they don't have a cut. They have a cut. The normal tour events have a cut at halfway through the through the tournament. Sometimes after three rounds, they cut half of the field basically, and you get world golf points, which we'll circle back to that in a second. But you get world golf points, you get money, you get FedEx Cup, race to Dubai points in the in the European Tour, based on where you finish after making the cut, and it's a way to you know, have an incentive there. You don't get paid if you don't make the cut, all that sort of stuff. Now they don't have a cut on this live golf tour. 54 holes of play. It's also what Greg Norman said. If you birdied every hole, you'd shoot a 54, which has never been done professionally. And, you know, so that's where the name comes from. But where the 54 holes, no cut really comes into play, I mentioned it, is world golf points. So they're making an appeal, the live golf tour, to be an event currently... They don't get points for the overall world golf ranking. They're making an appeal to get points, be a, an official world golf ranking points getting tour. The reason why that's important is one reason and one reason only. It's for the major tournaments, the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, which is next week, and the British Open, the Open Championship. All of these events 
have various different ways to qualify, which is, you know, you have won an event in the last year. That's the that's one for the Masters. You won the U.S. Amateur, which the reigning, reigning U.S. Amateur champion, James Piott, joined the Live Golf Tour, which is a very interesting wrinkle in all this of the fact that they're getting some young players and they're getting some amateurs and stuff like that into this. That's one way to get into the both Opens, U.S. and British. The PGA Championship, which is not held by the PGA Tour, it's held by the PGA of America. You know, there's various different ways, but the big fall-through for all of this, if you don't meet any one of these, you know, 17-ish qualifying points, is where you're rated on the overall golf, overall world golf rankings. Say that five times fast. If these guys are going over and playing in the Live Golf Tour, Live Golf Invitational Series, they're not getting points. So regardless of the fact that like DJ won the Masters, he can play at Augusta for the rest of his life. He's a member there. You get that when you win. He's a member at Augusta. And Augusta runs the Masters. They basically can do whatever the hell they want in determining who gets to play. The other events... U.S. Opens run by the USGA. British Opens run by the RNA. I mentioned it. PGA is run by the PGA of America. They have, and the Masters has this too, of this overall world golf ranking. So if you aren't getting points, you're losing points. And you're going to fall out of the top 60, which is usually where it is. Sometimes it's top 70. But let's call it top 60, top 70, just for the sake of argument. You're going to lose those points quick because you're not playing in tour events whether it's European or PGA Tour. They have set amount of points that you get for making the cut, for winning, and all of these different aspects to it. If you're not getting those points, you're falling down the rankings, and you won't have these different ways to get into the majors. So whatever ends up happening with this Live Golf Tour or Live Golf Invitational Series, whatever the hell you want to call it, if they get world, world point status, it could be really interesting to see what happens with this tour event? Because we saw the Super Soccer League, the Super Football League, a couple of years ago, where it was going to be like the big teams in Europe were going to form their own Super League and basically leave their various leagues. Like the British teams are going to leave the Premier League. The Spanish teams are going to leave La Liga. Yeah, in all all sorts of stuff. So instead of doing the Champions League, like they'd be barred from that. They'd be barred from all these different tournaments. The PGA came out, and the PGA Tour came out and said that they've suspended all of the players, whether they resigned or didn't resign officially. All the players linked that are playing this week, they are suspended from the PGA Tour. And what exactly that means, because there's stuff in the PGA Tour bylaws that says, like, if you resigned, you have to wait out a year once your last exemption, which you get exemptions for winning events, once that's done, you have to wait out a year to rejoin the tour. The European Tour Constitution doesn't have anything about it, so they haven't really come out officially and said anything, although they're apparently grouping together to really try to not let these players play in the U.S. Open, the British Open, the PGA. But Augusta can do whatever they want. So Augusta kind of holds all this power, they hold a lot of power anyway, to really determine the legitimacy of this, of if they get world rankings, then the majors have to make a decision. Augusta, you know, remove them for a second. But also see what could potentially happen 
with the suspension thing? And are they really just trying to choke this thing out now? The other interesting aspect, the U.S. Open is next week. It's up in Brookline, right outside of Boston. They have said any players that are playing this week can play because they already qualified. What will end up happening in 2023? We'll have to see. And you know what's before that in 2023? Not just the PGA, again, run by the PGA of America, not the PGA Tour, but the Masters. Augusta is going to have so much leverage, to use Phil's term, in how this all goes. Because right now, this thing is going off. They've played a day. We have uh, Charles Schwartzel leading after day one. I've not looked at day two. I haven't watched any of it. Um, But they're going to play this whole series. It's supposed to be, you know, a number of events all over the world. It's nine events, it looks like, or... No, I'm miscounting. It's eight events. But they're playing all over the place. They're playing five events in the U.S. They're playing three across overseas. One in England, one in Thailand, one in Saudi Arabia. And what ends up happening here is going to be pretty nuts. And what they're saying is, is that, you know, the the winner is going to get $20 million and there's team prizes and... A 48-man field, which, you know, a lot of tour events are over 100 guys. They usually cut it down to, you know, top 70 in ties. And, again, it's going to be nuts. It's shotgun starts, which is interesting because normally in tour events you have, you know, morning tee times. You have afternoon tee times starting on either 1 or 10. These, you just, they're all playing at the same time. And whatever ends up happening just happens. And... To see how this is going to go really is going to make, it's going to make some difference. Something is going to change either what the tour does, whether it's they let you know more intellectual property for media rights change, or this, this Live Golf Invitational Tour ends up being a bigger part of you know the greater golf world as a rival tour, which I don't. I honestly don't see it staying around for too long. It, it kind of feels like the the original iteration of the XFL, which is a great 30 for 30, where they talked about how it's supposed to be rival league to the NFL, but they're not going to do it at the same time as the NFL. So they did it in the spring. They brought in the, some innovations that the NFL ended up taking, like the wire camera. But then other things just really didn't work out, like the fucking, instead of a coin flip, we're going to throw a ball down and a guy broke his leg right away. It's basically like, uh, you know, like the, the, I forget the name of the game, but the game where you're kids and you throw the ball and you yell out a number and whoever has the number on the team runs and gets the ball kind of thing. Um, it felt like that. And, you know, they didn't have extra points. They didn't have all this stuff. But the NFL ended up taking some aspects, mainly the wire camera, and different ways that the broadcast went and utilized that. So, like, it feels like this could be that kind of a situation here, but I don't know. Like whatever ends up happening, if they get another big name and like you can joke around about Bryson and Patrick Reed all you want, but they both won major championships and they're not like, they're really not likable players on the tour anyway. But if they get a big name, they give somebody the right price. It could make a serious dent in what the tour has to do. I don't know if they're taking it too seriously right now because they, Came out with the suspensions, 
They didn't ban them, which was the the big difference there. They didn't ban them. They just suspended them. And maybe this is a like, you know, you you ran away for a weekend and we're going to punish you a little bit. And, you know, if this thing doesn't hold up, we just, you know, maybe say something there. But going back to the majors, it's nuts to think that Dustin Johnson wouldn't be involved in one. We said that with with Greg on the last hockey podcast of it's nuts to think that they wouldn't want the best players in the world because that's what the majors are about. It's having the best players in the world, the best fields, the hardest tournaments, the hardest conditions. So to see what this, this series does is going to be instrumental, but that's going to do it. That went a little longer than I thought it was going to. Let me know what you think of the live golf tour the Stanley Cup Finals as the Eastern Conference Final wraps up. Again, we're going to record an episode next week. Especially let me know what you think about the baseball. I'm trying to figure out doing more of these kind of solo updates on the Phillies. Obviously trying to get people on to do actual baseball shows. Work has been absolutely nuts for me, hence me doing this before work um, on a Friday after a Phillies sweep. Again, seven in a row. I exercise the bullpen. You're welcome. But let me know. Tweet at me, Jordo9, ThunderBLG is the handle for the Thunderblog and the bullpen cart. Subscribe to the bullpen cart. Tell your friends. Uh, Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. But that'll do it. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy the weekend. And we will talk to you next week. And go Phils!